Welcome to 10.5, the official podcast of the OPP Association. My name is Scott Mills. And I'm Emily Brown. We are the Strategic Communications Coordinators for the OPP Association and your host for the 10.5 podcast, the official podcast of the OPP Association. The OPP Association is the sole bargaining agent for the close to 10,000 members of the Ontario Provincial Police in Canada. Our members are our focus and our strength. We aim to provide important information to our members and to the public about matters that affect policing in the province of Ontario. Well, thank you, Emily. And uh, today we welcome a quote-unquote retired police couple. Uh, Sylvie Cote retired in 2018 after uh, a 30-year career with the uh, Ontario Provincial Police. And Rick Whalen retired from the Kingston Police Service in 2018, uh, as well with 30 years service as a police officer. So welcome, Sylvie, and uh, welcome, Rick. Thank you so much, Scott and Emily. So excited about being here with you today. Absolutely. This is actually kind of a dream come true for us, so we really appreciate the opportunity for us to, to share our story with you. Oh, that's awesome. We should have uh, welcomed uh, Sylvie in uh, Francais. Uh, bienvenue à Sylvie. Ben, merci beaucoup. J'apprécie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, je parle français juste un peu, Sylvie. Mais, uh, moi aussi. Et moi aussi. Oh oui. Tu parles un peu sur la main. Right. Ah, so that's the best way to learn if you don't speak French. What Rick says is he speaks French too, because uh best way to learn is to get a get in a relationship with somebody who's a different language, eh, Rick? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, especially a French woman. I'm so lucky. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, we're gonna get into that later, so uh, <laughs> hold on if you want a really good love story here uh on the Ted Five podcast. So Let's start with you, uh, Sylvie. Um, it's really interesting, all the background the information that, that we've compiled here for this uh, this episode. So let's start with you, and can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, absolutely. So I, um, I retired in 2018 after a 30 years career with the Ontario Provincial Police. And I had so many great opportunity with the OPP. I, I first started in 1988 in Mattawa. Then I moved on to Kingston. Rick and I were together at the time. So I had the, the privilege to be transferred to Kingston to be with Rick. And then um, after that, I had an opportunity to go to Windsor Casino and uh, it was, I didn't like it so much, so I came back to Kingston and then had an opportunity to do um, a UN tour in Haiti. So um, that was a fantastic experience. And when I came back, I had another opportunity to be seconded to the RCMP in Ottawa for, uh, with the peacekeeping branch. And then Kingston police took over our area in Kingston. And I had an, an opportunity to move to, uh, I chose Aurelia because I was always interested in training. And I um, went to Aurelia, Aurelia Detachment and I moved on to Chatham because uh, I, I had started seeing someone that was in Chatham. So I moved in Chatham 
And from there, I went to the police college, the Ontario Police College for two years. And then after I had an opportunity to work with the auxiliary program, uh, working uh, to help the training there. And then I ended up moving to Aurelia in service training. And further on, I joined. I know there's a lot there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's great. You got an amazing career, Sylvie. Um, then I, I joined the recruitment team. I worked in Aurelia for about a year and then moved on to, um, to East Region as a recruiter. And uh, yeah, and then I retired um, in 2018 and I had, I had the chance to be uh, a, a sergeant for the last year of my career. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, we're, we're going to really focus on this transition to retirement. I, I, I know when we we're talking uh, in, on the background for this, retirement wasn't really everything that you thought it would be at first. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe just kind of elaborate on, on that feeling at retirement, maybe reflect a little bit back on kind of where you grew up and kind of the personal side of things here. Absolutely. Well, I um, I grew up on a farm in a small town in Quebec. It's called Ville-Marie. So it's about two hours um, northwest of North Bay. And I grew up with my parents and four brothers. So very masculine environment. <laughs> <laughs> and since an early age, um, I wanted to be a teacher and I ended up following my school friend's suggestion to become a police officer instead. I was, every time I listened to a story at school, I always ask a lot of questions, uh, lots of details about some of the story that I heard. So that's where the suggestion from my friend came. And I realized I did all my education in, um, in, in Gatineau, um, in policing. And once I graduated looking for a job, I realized that I didn't meet some of the requirements. I had a deformity in my lower back and I wasn't able to get hired in Quebec. And at that time, I did not speak English. So I decided, well, I knew that Ontario didn't have the same requirement. And I decided to teach myself English for a couple of years. So I worked for different security company. And I actually had to speak English. So I, that's, that's what happened. I ended up uh, learning English and then applied for the OPP. Actually, in my interview, when I joined the OPP, I actually told my recruiter that one of my concerns was that my level of English was not good enough. And he kind of laughed and he said, he had offered to do the interview in French when we started. And I said, no, I want to see that I can speak enough English. After all, you're going to give me a gun when I become a police officer. <laughs> so, so yeah, he's, at the end, he says, no, you speak good English. And uh, don't worry about, don't worry about that, about um, your accent. You speak really good English. So that gave me a lot of confidence. And shortly after I was hired, and uh, was very uh, grateful that um, I got to uh, work for the Ontario Provincial Police for all these years. That's great, Sylvie. Now, um, you're joined here by Rick. So um, can you give us a little bit of background about 
you know, your story and, and how you met originally and, and how you reconnected? Yes, I, I've been telling this story many times and it's always such a pleasure for me to to tell the story is when we started, uh, when I, I was just talking about working as a security guard here in Ottawa and Rick actually was working for the same company that I worked for and we ended up working on the same project or contract for the company and Rick and I became friends. And this is going back in 19, pretty much 87. And we were, we started having a relationship. And then Rick got hired by Kingston Police because he was waiting to get hired as well. And I got hired by the OPP. And we continue our relationship. And we were traveling back and forth. This was about four hours distance from Mattawa to Kingston. And I was fortunate enough to get a transfer to be with Rick. And we were at the beginning of our career. We were still young. Like I got hired, I was 22. And at that age for me, I didn't really know what I was looking for into a relationship. Like when you go to school, they don't teach you about how you're supposed to act in a relationship or how it's supposed to be. You kind of learn it on your own or through your role model. But I... We, we were so focused on our career. We both were really working hard when we started and we kind of drifted apart and it was a lot of, a lot of policing all the time. And at the beginning of our career, we kind of were not as present for each other as we should have been knowing everything that I know now. And looking back, I could see how we went wrong. And then I, I actually broke the relationship because I didn't feel love anymore at that time. And so I, I ended up, so this was in, I believe it was 19, we were together for four years total. And um, yeah, I broke Rick's heart. <laughs> I admit it. <laughs> she still laughs about it. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> Rick's on the other end crying. Yes. I'm just remembering, oh my God, yes. You know, I think it's, uh, this is a, we didn't really discuss this, but uh, going to police college and becoming police officers changes you. <laughs> and uh, I, I've, I've lived this as well, being 30 years a, a police officer. And uh, it's definitely a high risk time in your life when you become, uh, uh, for your personal life, it's a high risk time of your life when you become a police officer. There's no ands, ifs, ors about it. Um, it, it is quite the love story. I know we're going to get through to it um, uh, as we go. Um, it, it seems like, uh, f- for me anyway, police officers end up in relationships, uh, whether it's before they become officers or after or whatever, and kind of police to a couple, both are police officers. And I recall one statistic that came uh, across uh uh, my mind here, and I'm not sure if it's still true or not, but like over 75% of female police officers and uh, ended up being married to other police officers. Uh, not so high for the other way around for male officers. And just before we get to Rick, I got I have a question here for you, Sully. And do you have any insight from your perspective on why um, many um women in police work end up in relationships with other police officers? 
the way I see it, I think it's it's not only in policing, but you look at other profession and it also happens. I think it's proximity, right? When we are in proximity to each other, like Rick and I, we were uh, working together. So that's when that's the proximity that happened there. And uh, the same value, like police officer, we are, uh, some of our value are integrity, living a healthy lifestyle. And, um, you know, we, we kind of understand each other's shift work. And we know that it's part of, it's going to be part of the relationship. So I believe that that is one of the area. And um, if you talk to different people in different profession, you might be surprised how the relationship may have started as, um, as a result of proximity. And I mean, there are other reasons. And again, proximity, when you grow up, you know, if you live close by or in your the same class, uh, well, you, you go to school sometimes that, um, you know, that brings people together. And then there's the, you know, the chemistry and the attraction and all that together. But I think the primary, um, the primary thing is the proximity. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So Rick, your turn over to you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I was born in Montreal. My, uh, my father worked for what was Northern Electric at the time. And he received a transfer to Kingston when I was seven years old. And I grew up in I grew up in Kingston. I love I love Kingston. And when I graduated from high school, I I tried various college courses, but I realized what my real what I was really wanting to be was a police officer. So I went to Ottawa to attend Algonquin College, took their law and security program, and I wasn't quite ready yet to apply to a police force. So I started uh, criminology at Ottawa University, and a year into that, I realized that. No, I didn't want to just continue with my education. I was ready to to apply to police forces, and I applied to several. And Kingston was on was number one on my list for a, for a place to to do my policing career. And thankfully, they uh, they hired me in '88, and it was quite a career. I'm very proud of the career I had. I obviously I started off in uniform patrol. But I also uh, did some time in uh, special services. I was a detective in uh, the criminal investigations uh, department. In the, I did general investigations, and I also did, worked in the sexual assault unit. And what was interesting is that every time I finished an area, I went back to uniform for a period of time. And not that I had to, but because I wanted to, it just gave me a different perspective on, on being a detective. So going back and forth uh, worked really well for me. And uh, my last stint as a detective was with the Joint Forces Penitentiary Squad, uh, which consisted of the RCMP, uh, OPP, and the Kingston Police. And it was was really run by the Ontario Provincial Police with an Ontario Provincial Police Sergeant with the RCMP and the Kingston Police assisting them. I did. Uh, I worked for thirty years in in. in after Sylvie broke my heart, I did meet someone else and uh, I, I got married and had two uh, beautiful daughters, uh, Jenna and Andra. And, you know, now in uh, my retirement, I'm 
I'm studying uh, being a, a life coach, and uh, I've just graduated from what's called Mastery University, which is uh, taught by uh, Tony Robbins. And I'm on course now to to become a trainer, which is a, a high it's a volunteer within the Tony Robbins uh, organization, but it's uh, it's where we assist directly with the training of the participants and to is this is our uh, my way, our way of, of giving back and and serving to uh, to our best ability. That's very interesting. Um, so, so you did, we're kind of jumping a little bit with careers and uh, obviously you're joined um, by Sylvie. Um, so I, I'm curious, back when you started your career, um, why didn't you and Sylvie continue your, your relationship? It goes back to what Sylvie was saying. You know, we were not just young, but excited by our new role as police officers. And it can be really consuming in terms of, of what you're thinking about. Even when you're not working, you're thinking about the calls that you did or, or what you have to do next, uh, you know, when you're, when you have to go back to work. And I realize now what I wasn't doing back then. I wasn't making her my priority, especially when I was off and not making her my priority. I realize now made her feel like she was coming in second maybe, or that she, she wasn't, uh, she wasn't enough for me. I don't know. I, I can't really answer for her. I just know that I was surprised when we sat down one morning over breakfast and she told me that she didn't feel the love anymore and, and, and she wanted to move on. And I guess for me, I would in the, in that surprise, I realized that, that if I wasn't an, able to give her what she needed. I wasn't able to make her happy that, you know, she deserved that. And if it wasn't for me, then, then she deserved to have that from somebody else. And, uh, you know, what I really should have done is I really should have fought. Uh, I should have come to a, a greater realization of what she needed. Unfortunately, I was young and I didn't have the knowledge I have now. And we unfortunately broke up. But you have, you know, it's funny how life kind of comes around and you, you know, circle back and uh, it really is quite a love story. So we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk a, about retirement. You know, you both of you have indicated that you experience dark places or in and around retirement. And and we really are hoping by sharing your story that that others might be able to achieve success going into their retirement uh, like both of you have. And and we all know policing can be a challenging uh, lifestyle, keeping healthy, keeping mentally healthy. Um, so Rick, a question for you. So what motivates you to want to share your story for others? Well, absolutely. Great question. I want people to have what I have. And approaching my retirement, I wasn't, my plan was, well, my, my marriage was already on, uh, was really already ended at the time. I was staying in my relationship to be close to my kids. My ex-wife and I talked about, you know, when my youngest graduated high school that I would move on. And my great plan was to be alone, to travel around in my motorhome, take pictures and chase storms. And that was my big plan for, for uh, retirement. And thankfully, that 
<laughs> Thankfully, that plan didn't come to fruition because that obviously is not a retirement plan. That's not, you know, it would have been fine for, for a year or two, but where do you get your fulfillment from that? Where do you get your enjoyment from that being alone? It's in meeting Sylvie again after 30 years that I, that I came up with a realization. It was a year before I retired, Sylvie out of the blue sent me a message on Facebook asking to be friends and it, and it boggled my mind that she reached out to me. I didn't actually believe it was her. I actually did an investigation to make sure it was actually the same <laughs> Sylvie Cote. I've been catfish. Oh, yeah, exactly. I couldn't believe it. And when I realized it was her, we, we started communicating, sending messages back and forth. And and then, you know, I was so happy about the thought of having my friend back because before we started dating back in 1986, it's so hard to believe, we were good friends. We were best friends. And we did so much together. And we had such a great time together that, you know, I thought the thought of having my best friend back really just really made me happy. And it was right around that time that, that uh, you know, she was telling me about uh, things that she learned and about, about life coaching. And that's when my, my marriage uh, actually came to an, to an, to an end uh, or, or a discussion one day when I realized that I was staying in that marriage to be there with my children, to be the, a really great dad. And I realized that, you know, I wasn't being a great dad because I was never happy when I was home. And, you know, the only time that, you know, I was there with all, you know, with my, my, my wife at the time and my children was when we were having dinner. Otherwise I only wanted to spend time with my children and they were learning that that was okay for a relationship and it wasn't okay for a relationship. But what really motivates me to share this story is that I learned to, to deal with what I was focusing on. I learned to deal with the language I was using with myself and I was using these things in the last year that I was working. I was learn through my through the coaching that I was learning. I was using these tools while I was working, and I was amazed by how well it was it was, or how useful it was. You know, from one call to the next, utilizing these tools I was I was learning, and then of course, going into retirement. Now, I feel fulfilled. I didn't retire from, when I retired from a job, I didn't retire from life, right? Life goes on and if it goes on and you don't have a plan, you don't have something that makes you feel fulfilled, then what do you have? And that's what my life is now. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly learning. So I'm constantly growing. You know, the old saying, you, you can't teach an old dog new tricks or you never become an old dog as long as you continue to learn new tricks, right? And I'm learning and growing every day of my life and I have a desire to give back, give back to my family, give back to the strangers I meet on the street and really, really have a desire right now to give back to my brothers and sisters in policing to teach them and give them the tools that I have now so that they not only have a great retirement, but they can also have a great career. I think that's amazing, uh, Rick. Um, what you're saying really resonates uh, with me. Uh, 
30 years being a police officer and uh, you definitely need some meaning outside of the job. And uh, I really appreciate you sharing all that. And I'm, I'm sure that's going to resonate with the, with the listeners out there that are, especially around the retirement age, it, it really is all about mindset. And Sylvia, I, I know uh, you share many of, of Rick's sentiments there. I was just wondering if you can share how you transform your mindset post-retirement because, you know, both of you have said that you it was a bit of a dark time for you. Yes. Thank you, Scott. Um, and I, Rick described it so well. It just like listening to him, it just warms up my, my heart and we are so connected together now it's just beautiful i just uh i just really love him so much yeah so before my retirement i had a friend of mine nancy that i used to go for dinner with all the time every two weeks we go for sushi and one time she said to me sylvia you should be a life coach and this started the whole thing so i am so grateful for that friend nancy because she is a big part of how I transform my life. And so I was just going home. She said, look it up on the internet. So I got home, I look it up, and I came upon Tony Robbins coaching. So, and I remember when I was in my 20s, I had bought his book, Awaken the Giant Within. And I digged it out, and I realized I only had read a chapter because it was so thick that I got intimidated by the size of it and discouraged and didn't read it. So at that moment, this was in 2015, I read the whole book and I went back on the internet and I signed up right away for the uh, coaching course. Like, I mean, everything that was in that book is like, I wish I would have known when I was 20. (laughs) Maybe Rick and I would have stayed together. (laughs) But after that, when I enrolled in the coaching course, they included in a life event. And this was in Florida and West, West Palm Beach. And I give myself this gift on my 50th birthday to go to this event. And it totally changed my life. And I really reconnected with myself. And I was so impressed with what I was hearing, what I was ex- experiencing at this event, that I find out that I could volunteer. So I started to volunteer. I ended up doing some security for Tony around this around the stage and I was a crew member for for many years for about three four or five years and at one point like I'd been by myself for 12 years uh, in no relationship and I wanted to be in a relationship so through my volunteer at one event I ran into this this girl who was a crew member as well from Toronto Atelia and we actually had a chat about relationship. And she said, Sylvie, you got to make a list. So she gave me a strategy of how to attract a man into my life. You got to make a list. And then you got to kind of create the life that you want with this person. Like what life and who you're going to be for that person. So she gave me the tools like, this is, I could talk about it for a long time, but just to briefly talk about it like this, I got back home and I said, I did exactly what she told me to do. This was in November. In February, I'm sitting at home and somehow Rick popped into my head. And I hadn't thought about Rick for a long, long time. And I was thinking about planning my retirement. So this was in 2017 now. And 
I I remember that Rick and I we travel so well together, and I I said, oh, I wonder how he's doing. So I sent him a, a Facebook request, like he said, and this started everything. It started everything, and we reconnect together, and and got back together, and learning all the tools that I learned from Tony about relationship uh, brought us back together, and and really understand each other and now to go back into at the same time what i was living through my career is that i was um actually a recruiter so i started um, my job in recruitment in 2009 and then uh 2000 at the end of 2009 i got transferred from aurelia to east region i wanted to be closer to my family some of them are here in Ottawa, and this is like home to me, Ottawa. So, and again, planning my retirement because I had like about, um, I had about 10 years to go until I retired. So I asked to move to uh, East Region and I got my transfer. And once I got here to East Region, um, there was an acting, there was two sergeant that were doing the position of recruiters and because of the reconstruction of uh, the position, there was now a sergeant and a constable. So I was actually a constable recruiter, moved here. And then the acting, um, the acting sergeant was going to be um, advertised to become, you know, a full-time sergeant. So I was hoping to be able to apply for that sergeant position. And Soon, <laughs> soon, I'm laughing about this now, but at that time, it wasn't really funny. I find out that they actually canceled the sergeant's position and that I was, go- I was going to be the only person in East Region managing the whole region for, um, for recruitment as a constable, which there was two sergeants before <laughs> that was doing the job. And I found myself bringing a lot of work at home at the end of the day to being able to keep up with the workload. Now, from time to time, there was a, a colleague from Aurelia that would come and help me to catch up on the, on the interview workload. But I, I was feeling kind of weird because I was looking at the whole picture and each region had a sergeant, but here I was by myself as a constable uh, managing the region, and um, I kept on asking if they were going to reinstate the sergeant's position, and I never got any answer. And over the years, I got a little bit discouraged, and I experienced all kinds of feeling, right? Uh, and I'm sure some of the listeners right now, they can, and yourself, um, Scott, you can relate to some of the things. It's like you feel like you, you feel like angry, you feel... Like you, sometimes you want to quit because you feel like you're not enough. And then, so later on, finally, in about 2016, management announced that they were going to bring back the sergeant's position. Well, I was ecstatic because I was thinking to myself, I've been doing the job. And actually, I was very, there was a lot of pride. And I was learning a lot in that job, thinking back. And... I thought, you know, I have an opportunity now to, to be a sergeant. And I soon find out that they were going to put a surplus sergeant in that position of sergeant. So at that time, I can tell you, 
I can feel in my heart right now, I was feeling all kinds of things. I was feeling I'm not good enough. They don't like me. It's because I'm a female, because that person that was coming in was a male. And it's because I'm French. And I found all these things in my head that was getting me really feeling alone. Now, I wasn't sharing all this with anybody else. It was my secret. And there was a time where there was a time where I thought of ending my life. Sorry. Uh, it's all good, Sylvie. <laughs> Many of us have been there. Ah, oh, thank you. So <laughs> I really got refocused because I, I kind of, in my mind, I, I'm a person usually that likes to see all the positive in everything at my core. And I thought, okay, Sylvie, what can you see about this that is positive? Then I met Stefan, the sergeant that was coming in, and we connected right away. And I decided to put all these feelings that I was feeling aside and focus on now having a partner. Now I'm going to have somebody that's going to help me to share the workload. And Stefan was so committed. He came in and he wanted to learn the job. And I, I taught him a lot of what I knew. And he was a very, very hard working person. And it was so refreshing for me to have somebody new and to actually teach what I already knew made me feel, made me feel really good. Yes, in the meantime, well, I was doing all my training, my coaching training. I ended up going to an event to volunteer in L.A. And again, I had the opportunity to meet another volunteer, which we call Crew. His name is Herbert. He was from Austria. And we got into a conversation about something else. And I ended up, this was the first time in my life that I opened up about these feelings that I had. And Herbert was there for me. I felt like he was sent from above or something. And he started asking me the question after he listened to my story. And he said, Sylvie, I hear you just started this beautiful relationship with Rick. And actually, something I didn't mention is that I had some thought of suing the OPP because in all these emotions that I was feeling, I was saying, why does this happen to me? And I need to change the way they think. They did that to me, and I need to, to teach them a lesson. This was some of the words that were going on in my head. So this was some of the thought that I had to sue the OPP. So when I shared that with Herbert, he said, what's most important to you? Is it your beautiful relationship with Rick or is it focusing on suing the OPP? And where is that going to get you? Is that what you really want? And when he presented that to me, I was like, no. What I want is have focus on my relationship. And once I connected with what I really wanted which was to have and build this beautiful relationship, I focus on that. Because if I took the other choice, which was to sue the OPP, maybe it would have broke my relationship again, being too 
focus on something that wasn't going to get me anywhere. And then he said, Sylvie, why are you doing this job? Because really, when it comes down to it, you don't have to do it. You can do another job within your service. And I said, yeah, that's a great question. Why? And once I reconnect, I told him right away, I'm doing this job because I want to help young adults to reach their goal of becoming police officer. At the time, I was doing a lot of presentation, and that was my passion, was to do this presentation and, and really connect with the young adults and help them to reach their goal of become police officer and to see them work so hard to make themselves competitive and sometimes come back the second time, second interview, and then make themselves competitive to reach their goal and then going to OPC to see the graduation and see their family, their children, they're celebrating with them their success. I said to him, this is why I'm doing my job, to make a difference in these people. And once I reconnect, I reconnected with my why and I refocus on exactly what I wanted. After that conversation with Herbert, which was about an hour, I walked outside the building and I, I seen everything different. It was as if there was a weight lift off my shoulder. And I felt so light. My body felt so light. So I got in the plane. This was in L.A. Got back to my office in Spitz Falls. And I was a new person. People didn't recognize me. Because now I knew what I wanted to focus on my relationship. And I knew my why. And once I focused on all that, I was a new person. So this is what I experienced and what I want to share with our listeners and to tell people that it is possible. It is possible to get to a different place than maybe where you are right now. Sylvie, I, I, I have to tell you, uh, everything you're saying resonates with me everything and uh you're so brave to share all that and your advice is just so bang on um and and i i agree with you it is possible to refocus uh and and all your feelings about kind of how you felt you're being treated by the employer and stuff like that um I can tell you, I've felt like that in the past as well. And it's hard to refocus, but congratulations on doing it. And even more congratulations on sharing. Um, I think we're going to switch up some gears here. Um, I, I think this podcast, this episode is just going to be uh, so great. The The next question here is, is for Rick. I know it, when we were talking about uh, coming up here, um, one of the key messages that, uh, that was in there uh, was weight and how much you weigh. And uh, um, I experienced the same thing. And uh, my understanding, Rick, is, is that you, uh, when you, when you retired, you're just too heavy. And, um, 
how, how did you deal with that? How, how did you get that under control? Because I think this is something that's never talked about, especially amongst guys. And uh, just interested and curious to know your experience on that. Absolutely. And you're right. It's not, it's not something that we tend to talk about, you know, uh, the size of my pant waist. And though maybe we should. And you're right. When I, when I met Sylvie, uh, again, in, in 2017, I was 230 plus. And I say plus because in my mind, well, the scale doesn't go any higher than that. So I'm just going to stick at 230 no matter what the weight really is. It was really a pattern that I had during my career, realistically. When I hit my 30s, I was in a different place in my life. And, you know, and I was starting to put on weight. And I did my first diet and I lost the weight that I wanted. And would you believe, just to start, when when I started policing in 88, uh, I was 182 pounds, beautiful 182 pounds. And I was over 200 and, like I said, 230-something uh, in 2017. And all the diets, I can't even tell you all the different diets that, that I tried. And what I realized in, in 2017 is that when we diet, we get to an end of the diet once we reach the weight that we we're looking for and we stop dieting. What's the first thing that we do? We go back to eating the way we were eating before when we put the weight on. And for me, I did that and I put the weight back on over a period of time. Not only just the weight I lost, I actually probably put, not actually, I did. I put on more weight than, than where I was when I started dieting in the first place. And I just did this kind of a yo-yo thing. And what I, one of the things I learned in 2000, actually it was 2018 that I went to uh, a seminar called Life Mastery. I learned that eating, that dieting is, is, is not a way of life. Like, because you're, you've changed the way you're eating. You're not usually enjoying it. How we eat is something that we should enjoy. And we should also eat properly, not for a period of time, but for our whole lives. And so I changed the way that I ate, I watched how I ate. I really, you know, determined what it was that, that I needed on, on a daily basis. And I really wanted to enjoy my life. And even just a simple thing, like when I start my mornings, I started off with, uh, you know, and a 20 ounce uh, bottle of, of water mixed with lemon juice for the alkalinity. I do, uh, I drink celery juice after that. And my morning breakfast is always, well, it's majority of time is oatmeal and, 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 and berries. And that's how I start my morning because I don't want to introduce a whole bunch of fats and, and, and caffeine and stuff into my body right away because I want it to have a, a healthy start to the day. And it's really important to, to get into a regimen that you enjoy and that you do that. The other important aspect is for me especially – was that even though I was, you know, in my past, I was eating fairly healthy, but I was eating a lot of junk food, like a lot. And it doesn't matter how much you exercise. If you eat a bag of chips a night, you're going to put on weight. That's just the way it is. No body can take 2,000 calories of fat and, and be able to stay slim. The question was, is why was I doing that? Why was I finding it necessary to eat that bag of chips every night? It wasn't to fill up because it's not filling, right? 
And that's one of the things I learned from my, my coaching course and through talks with Sylvie, who, who started the coaching course ahead of me. And from what I learned through, through Master University as well over time was that I was eating that junk food to fill a void. So I started, I was eating all that junk food because my marriage wasn't fulfilling for me. I wasn't happy in my marriage. And, you know, if my kids weren't there or when I was just alone at night watching TV or playing a video game, at least when I ate chips, I felt good in the moment. Right? I felt bad about it afterwards, but I felt good in the moment. So I was eating that way because of how I was feeling. I wasn't feeling happy. And so I was substituting that with, with junk food. And some people would substitute that with, with alcohol, right? Thinking that, you know, they, they'll feel better in the moment using alcohol. People use different things to, to, to fill those voids. That's when I thought, okay, you know, I got to change my focus. Is everything bad in this house, right? Like, is, is my focus on everything being negative? Is that true? You know, can I change that focus, Right. And I did. I started changing the focus. I realized that, you know, yes, my ex-wife and I didn't have the best relationship at the time, but we actually got, you know, we worked really well together. We were very good parents. We were, you know, awesome with our daughters. We did a lot of things well together. We just didn't work together very well. And, you know, my children were amazing. And when I started to change my focus, the need to eat those chips was dwindling. And then... You know, you know, my my marriage, you know, ended, and you know, upon its ending, you know, you you focus on all the negative things at that time, and I had this need again to eat the chips, but then I changed that focus again. No, you know, this marriage needed to end, not just for me, but for my wife at the time, because there's no way that she was happy, right? And for my children, that you know, they needed to to, to see, learn, and grow from from all this, and I changed everything that I thought about. And it's amazing. Once I changed that focus and I changed the language I was using when I, when I talked to myself, you know, like we all do that. Like, oh, I'm an idiot. I'm so stupid. I, I, I can't, you know, fill in the, uh, the expletive word in there. You know, when we talk about ourselves in a negative way, even as a joke, our body doesn't know the difference and it feels it, right? And we have to change those, that, that language. And then that helps change us physically changes our physiology, it gives us the energy to get up and move and to, to do the things that we need to do. I'm proud to say, you know, since 2017, in 2017, 2018, I went from 230 plus to 200 pounds and I continued to lose the weight. I, I haven't, I'm, I'm, as of this morning, I'm 188 pounds. I haven't been above 190 in I think it's a year and a half or almost two years now. And it's because I, I focus on the positive things in my life. I don't talk negatively about myself. I appreciate and understand that moving my body and, and, and keeping it in motion actually helps me focus on the positive. It actually helps me speak, uh, you know, uh, use language that, that, that works for me, not against me. And, and Sylvie is incredibly health conscious. She was, you know, like that before we, we, we got back together again, but even more so now. And, and we eat properly. We eat what we need to eat, not anymore. 
and we concentrate on a lot of greens, a lot of salad, a lot of healthy foods. When we eat meat, we only eat you know the portion that we need. We never go in excess of maybe a few ounces of meat because you don't need it. And all that put together, it just it's created a truly healthy life where I've never yo-yoed again. I, I've stayed at a, at a wonderful weight, and I know that this can work for anybody out there. And I you know and anybody needs any assistance or any guidance, I, you know, I'd love to help them with that. Thanks for sharing that. So I'm going to jump back and, and talk to Sylvie here. Sylvie, was there anything in particular during your career that that had an impact on your mental health? Thank you, Emily, for the question. Um, Yes, like what we already talked about, right? It had an impact on my mental health because there's a lot, like there was a low time and then I was able to get out of that. And then uh, I was telling you about coming back to, coming back to my office and feeling so good um, about my change. And then a little bit later on, uh, my partner, Stefan, who was, we were working together for, um, for close to a year and a half. And then Stefan was a person that was very um, private about his personal life. And he ended up going uh, on sick leave for about a month and a half. And I was really concerned about him because we did have a good relationship, but it was private, and sometimes I try to ask him questions, but he would say, oh, i got to go now. So, uh, yeah, you went off sick, and uh, we had conversation in our unit about supporting him, and we were told not to reach out to him, that he was dealing with some things that he needed to take care of. And, you know, you think, well, maybe it's his relationship or so. And at that time, knowing what I know now today, I would have called him anyways. Mm-hmm. Because it is the right thing to do to support a brother. Mm-hmm. It is the right thing to do. And but I didn't. I didn't reach out to him. And um I can tell you that that day, I remember as if it was yesterday, this was uh, on the 12th of April, 2017, and I was at my office. I was actually, I'm just going to go back a little bit. After I changed the way I felt when I came back from my trip and feeling so good and changing my focus, I actually had an opportunity to go to um, to do a secondment as an acting sergeant in the IDENT unit in in Smith Falls. So once I changed my focus and I had a transformation in my state altogether, I had this good news when I came back. So when you change your focus and when you, you feel good inside your body, Things will naturally come to you. So that came to me, that opportunity. So I went and did a secondment for uh, three months into the identity unit. And it was at that time, on that date, uh, 12 of April, that I was sitting at my desk and I had an inspector walk in my office and he closed the door, sat down and said to me, Sylvia, I have bad news. 
And right away, my heart stopped and I thought it was something with Rick because we had just, just, just reconnected not too long ago. We were friends at the time. And he proceeded to tell me, Stefan hung himself this morning. And it was like, no, I'm dreaming. This is not true. This cannot be true. And I tried to keep my composure in front of the inspector. And he proceeded to ask me some questions uh, about our relationship and so on. So I answer his question. This was very brief. It might have been 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And then he stood up and he opened my door and walked out and closed the door. And I felt alone. I felt like I wanted to go back in time and change things, which I couldn't do. And right away, I obviously was emotional crying and I called Rick and Rick just dropped in his car and he came and I just left the office, went home. And this was a very, very hard time, very hard time for me because you question yourself. Should I have done something different? You know, and knowing the tools that I knew, I started to learn about coaching. But um, yeah, you blame yourself, you feel guilty. So what we did is we had a meeting for all the recruitment team and we had the help of a psychologist that came in and helped us understand suicide. The fact that when somebody has decided they're going to end their life, then there's nothing you can do because the moment is what they choose. And I felt, well, there's something that, you know, I could have done, but I need peace with that at the time. And then now learning everything that I've learned through the environment with Tony Robbins and I am actually able to talk to somebody for 20 minutes and change their state. So I I am a trainer with the Tony Robbins Tony Robbins team and on a regular basis once a month or twice a month I I volunteer at events and what I do is during the event people are coming up a lot of people have thought of suicide. They're, they, this is people that go there to transform their life, and they've been through a lot of things. And sometimes they, right away, they need to talk to someone, and I'm there for them. And I go, uh, this is a virtual event, and sometimes, well, now it's starting again to be in-person event after we got rid of COVID. But I go into a private room virtually, and I'm actually, in 20 minutes, able to change somebody's state from maybe wanting to commit suicide or having issues. Or this is the tools that I've learned. And I am so, this makes me feel so good and fulfilled. And I'm able to do that. And Rick was talking about it. Sometimes we encounter people uh, where we go shopping or somebody, we strike a conversation and we hear all kinds of story and we take the time to talk to people to help them. And as we know, every time I see a notification of an officer that has died, I always kind of look further to see if it might be a suicide or it might be what it is. 
uh, how the officer died. And it just hits my heart. It hits my heart when I know that it is a suicide. And it comes and gets me. And it there's this, this purpose that I have in myself that I want to help. I know I can make a difference. And Rick, had been talk, Rick and I have been talking about it for a long time. And being in the environment of Tony Robbins, learning all these tools, it has made me realize that to go back home. And when I say go back home is to be there for my brothers and sisters, police officer that are going to some challenges. And this is why we have decided to, to, to be here and to, to openly talk about our story and to offer our help and offer our service to help guide and help others to transform their life. So this is what I've been through, and I know what it is, and I want to save some life. If I can save one life, that will be good enough for me. But you know what? I want to save more, and I know I can. So, you know, I am grateful for some of the things that have. I'm not grateful that, obviously, Stefan is not here. I wish he was here right now. But some of the experience that I went through made me where I am today. And some of these realizations, if they didn't happen, then I wouldn't be here to be of service to others. So I am grateful for every experience that I had in the past because it got me to where I am right now. Wow, thank you for sharing that, Sylvie. And, and, you know, sorry for the loss of your coworker, but, um, you know, the way that you framed it and, um, you know, encouraging people to get help and, and helping others through that is uh, incredibly impactful. Um, I'm going to flip uh, to you, Rick. Uh, in, in preparing for this interview, um, the concept of physiology, focus, and language came up. So I was curious if, if you could explain those concepts from your perspective. Well, absolutely. It'd be my pleasure to. In our life, that those three things are basically our, our guiding force. Now, I want you to imagine when you're feeling sad or upset or depressed, where do you go? Do you want to be seen? Do you want to, or do you go to a couch and you just kind of sit on the couch, try to veg and try to ignore life around you and just kind of hide in a hole. And I think that's what people do generally. And and it's natural that we're going to have things happen in our lives where it's going to make us depressed. It's going to make us, make us upset. It's going to make us angry. But you don't have to live there. You don't have to stay there. You can change that. And so if, for my for the listeners, for, for you, Emily and Scott, if, if you're in a place where you're feeling upset or, or, or you know, angry, one of the best things you can do as a start to change those feelings is get off that couch. Get up and move your body. Go for a walk. Go for a hike. Kayak. Whatever it is that will get your body moving. And that's a start. Because once you're moving your body, it's hard to stay angry. It's hard to stay depressed. It helps to clear your mind so that you can work on, work on what you're focusing on. You have to ask yourself questions like, why am I feeling like this? You know, how do I want to feel? 
how can I take this and, and flip it? It's like Sylvie was saying, you know, even in something hard, something that's challenging you, there's something good that you can look at. There's something good you can take from it. And if you can change that focus to what something positive that you can take from it, that's the start of changing how you're feeling. And as well, when you're thinking those negative thoughts, what's your language like to yourself? I can't believe that happened again. Why does that always happen to me? Why am I so stupid? That kind of language only adds to those emotions that you're having that are negative, And you need to flip those as well. That was a big thing for me is I used to always say, uh, you know, I'm so stupid. Or I'm such an idiot. And Sylvie pointed out to me that this was something that I said when something went wrong. She said, you know, can you change that to something else? And I thought, you know what? I, I can. So when I make a mistake, I say, well, I just learned a new way not to do that. You know, or I would say, man, I wish that was on video. I could make a million dollars on YouTube if somebody was watching this. You know, I could make a joke out of it. I could make it fun. I could make it a learning experience versus the way I was speaking before. As an example, and this is actually goes on, uh, goes to what Sylvie was saying as well about, about just meeting people in public and, and just noticing them and stopping and talking to them. We were actually on a hike here in Ottawa, uh, one of our favorite places. And we came up, we came up to you know, a small lake and there's this lady sitting there hunched over, you know, almost like she was hiding next to this boulder. And we started to talk to her and she was so sad. She was so depressed. You could hear it in her voice. You could see it in her physiology. And as we were talking to her, we were asking her questions. We finally got her to talk about the fact that, you know, her marriage was so bad. You know, she didn't, her children, she didn't think her children loved her and she didn't know what her life was for. And she was actually thinking about committing suicide. And we used the tools that we learned to talk to her. The first thing that we did was you got her to get up and continue to hike with us, to continue to walk with us. And through the questions that we asked her and, and you know, helping her change her focus and changing the language, she said to herself, in the course of an hour, she went from this lady that was, you know, a ball of emotions sitting on the ground to this happy, carefree person. And the transformation was amazing. And, and she was so light on her feet. And she looked at us. She said, did God send you to me? Like, you're like my angels. You're like my saviors. I can't believe how different I feel. And that was a few years ago now. And we still have contact with her. She still calls us. And, you know, and then she's in a beautiful place now. And that felt so good to do that for her. I don't, I don't know if you'd be willing uh, to, to do a little experiment with me, a little, uh, um, a little demonstration. Sure. You, Go ahead. Rick? Yeah. yeah, both of you. Yeah. All right. Um, this, this will be just kind of a little demonstration. So if, you'd, if you will, I want you to think about uh, a moment in time where you're really sad or, or really depressed. You know, it could be maybe a death in the family or it could be from an argument you had. I just want you to pick one time when you felt really sad or really depressed. And do you have a, a moment you're thinking about? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, perfect. 
what I would you like you to do now, if, if you're willing, is, is close your eyes. I want you to go back in time to that moment. Okay. And while you're there, think about the things you heard. I want you to hear those things again. I want you to see what you saw. I want you to feel those emotions you were feeling just going through your body. I want you to, to sit or stand like you were standing in that moment in time. How do you feel right now, Scott? Uh, sad. Sad. How are your shoulders? Are they are they up and back, or are they kind of folded in and down? They're kind of folded and down, and uh, they're kind of uh, tense. Tense. And your breathing is it slow or is it is it regular? It kind of slowed down a lot. Yeah. Exactly. And Emily, how's your body feeling right now? Yeah, very tense. My shoulders are up. When you mentioned breathing, I think I wasn't even, I think I was holding my breath a little bit, actually. Exactly. So what I'd like you to do now, if, you, if you're, you know, shake it out, shake it out, like you're not there anymore, right? Now, what I'd like you to do instead is think of a moment in time where you just felt happy, ecstasy, joyful, right? Just pick a moment in time where, where just a beautiful thing happened in your life where you, you know, felt these great positive emotions. It could be the birth of a child. It could be, you know, getting a new job or a promotion. Maybe it's retirement. Uh, I want you to think about a moment. Do you, do you each have a moment? Yep. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Now what I want you to do now is I want you to close your eyes again, and I want you to go back to that moment in time. I want you to think about it. I want you to be there. I want you to feel what you were feeling at that moment in time. I want you to see what you were seeing. I want you to hear what you were listening to. I want you to be there. I want you to take that, all that energy, and I want it just to flow through you, just like you're there in that moment of time, feeling that joy, feeling that happiness all over again. How are you feeling right now, Scott? I'm really happy. I've got a big smile on my face. <laughs> yes. And, and where are your shoulders? Are they hunched forward or are they back? They're actually back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And do you feel energetic right now or do you feel like you just want to go and hide? I feel energetic and, uh, yeah, focused, actually. Yeah. And how about you, Emily? Yeah, I, I feel good. I feel sort of an internal warmth, actually, that came over me. Just sort of a rush in my chest and in my shoulders, and my breathing slowed down and calmed down. And, uh, yeah, amazing. Yeah, and, that's, that's, and that happened in a few seconds, right? That you could go from that feeling of, of sadness or depression to joy and happiness just by what you're thinking about, what you're focusing on the language that you're using, right? It, it, that's, that's focused language and physiology. It's what we focus on. It's what we say and it's how we feel energetically and how we feel in our bodies that can make all the difference. And so when I talk about focused language physiology, that's what I mean. We, we can change. It's okay to be in a moment in time when, when something happens and you feel sad and you feel depressed, but we really don't need to live there we are in control of that and we can change it if we choose to so that, that that's kind of my little little spiel on focused language physiology i hope that was uh, beneficial to you actually it was really effective um 
I think it's a great example, Rick. Um, and uh, again, I thank you for sharing this. This is uh, our conversation has just ebbed and flowed into uh, you know some really sad things into some really uh, positive things, and uh, I can't uh, thank you guys enough for for sharing all this. I, I want to kind of switch over to Sylvie, and uh, Sylvie, can you explain? kind of similar to in a similar vein to Rick, like how our beliefs can affect the decisions that we make throughout our lives and, and how it can limit our opportunities and our happiness. And more importantly, on a positive note, how it can help us be happy. Absolutely. Thank you, Scott. This is one of my favorite thing to do to explain these, these uh, different concepts that we learn and what Rick, Rick did such a beautiful job explaining the focus and the language and physiology. And this is a great example of how we can ourselves, when we know this strategy, we can do it with ourselves. So focusing on different positive things from the past, and we can actually stack it. You know, you think about a good moment and think about another good moment, another good moment. Oh, wow. You see the difference how you felt? Well, you can feel like, re make yourself feel really, really, really good when you stack all these beautiful moments. So the belief is something that uh, we create over the years through experience that we have. And I'm going to give you a, a very specific example of myself in the past when it comes to relationship. So I might believe for a very, very long time was that men that I encountered, that I had relationship with, wanted to be with me for the primary reason to have sex. <laughs> so this was my belief for a very, very long time. And someone that has this belief, um, do you think they're going to be in a solid relationship or wanting to be in a relationship? Because when you feel like men just want to have sex with me, it's like, well, I feel used, right? I feel like they don't care about who I am. So all these negative things come into play when I have this belief that really doesn't serve me because my goal was to have a relationship. So taking a step, step back and realizing that this belief is not serving me in achieving what I want to achieve and being aware that it's not the truth, right? We have to question our belief. When we're not getting what we want and we have certain belief, we have to step back and look and assess. What is my belief here? And once I knew that that belief was not serving me, well, I said, how can I change this belief? And I started thinking about my father, my brothers, and my close friends that were guys. And no, they don't just want to have sex with women. They want to have a solid relationship just like I do. So that belief, I changed it. I replaced it by the men that I meet. They are looking to have a good relationship just like I do. And once I changed this belief, <laughs> I... Got to, I got back together with Rick. 
this is when things start happening to me when I change that belief. Because when you tell yourself it's in your mind, right? And it stays there. And when you're aware of it and you change it, that's when other things, beautiful things are going to start to happen. So, uh, you know, when I talked earlier, what my beliefs were, my beliefs were that they didn't like me at work. They, 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 I was discriminated because I was a female, because I was French and blah, 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 blah. All these things that I created in my head. But when I step back and look at that, this was my belief. Was it true? No, it wasn't true. It wasn't true. And once I changed my belief and I reconnected with my why, I changed my belief. My belief is that maybe they believe in me. They believe in me. They believe in my potential. They believe that I could do the job that two sergeants were doing as a constable because I was good enough. <laughs> and once I change that belief, it gives me goosebumps right now because it gives me pride and it gives me confidence in myself. It makes me feel good. So once I have a belief that doesn't serve me, I step back and I look at it and I question it. Is that belief true? Is it the fact? And when the answer is no, if that belief is not serving me, then it's my job for my own happiness to change it, to change that belief so then it serves me to make myself happier. And... You know, when you start talking, listen to people and um, the, the way they talk. Sometimes they have an identity. They have a belief of an identity. Uh, I, am, I, I, I can't go on a diet. I don't have time. Well, that's your belief, right? I can't eat healthy because I just don't have time, Okay. That's your belief. Is that the truth? Is that the truth? Right? And it's not, it's not resources that are a, pro a problem. It's being resourceful. When we are resourceful and we find different solution to what we have, is then there's a shift that starts to happen. Right? And once we believe of an identity that we have for ourselves, we get stuck and we're not going anywhere. And once we start questioning that belief and we realize that it is BS and that we can change it, that's when the transformation and the breakthrough start happening. To see something that we believe was impossible now becomes possible. It's like opening the door to a new life. It's like being aware of what's going on in our mind and changing it so we can be healthier and happier and have healthier mind. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. A lot. Thank you for that. 
Now, Rick, I'm going to switch over to you. So, um, you know, how did you and Sylvie learn to have a harmonious and loving relationship and understand each other and meet each other's needs from your perspective? Yes. (laughs) When I think back to when we were first together and like we, we spoke about, we didn't, you know, we weren't present for one each other. We were more engrossed in, in the job than, than actually each other. What we have now, though, is totally different. I, I've learned that, that men and women have three needs that they need, they need met in order to, to feel loved, to feel uh, wonderful in a relationship. And believe it or not, those needs are not the same. Men and women are not the same. You know, and I'd like to take a step back, and I shouldn't say men and women. There's, there's feminine energy and there's masculine energy. Now, we all have uh, feminine and, and masculine within us to, to, you know, certain levels. Most of us have either masculine or feminine at our core. That, that's, who we, that's who we are, how we function in life. And there are some men that are ma- feminine at their core, and there's some women who are masculine at their core. So I'm going to really kind of refer to kind of feminine and masculine. And Sylvie is, is, is very is feminine at her core. <laughs> so those are, the, those are the three rules that I'm going to use are, are, are in a way to, to, to fulfill her needs. The, the first one that the feminine energy needs, the first one that Sylvie needs is she wants to know that I'm listening to her. Like truly listening to her. You know, when she comes in the room and she starts talking to me, I shut off my cell phone. I shut off the TV and she has my undivided attention. That's called being present. I'm totally present in my listening to, to her, to, to being with her and to, 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 to let her know that she's the most important person in the world to me because she is. And in being present while she's listening, there's also a next need, which is to be understood. Right? She needs me to know where she's coming from. Women are very emotional creatures they they unlike men men are very focused and are kind of linear in their thinking they're very logical women are emotional thinkers and so they have a lot of other thoughts that are going on in regards to that emotion that they're feeling and they need to express all of it right and that's part of being understood they need us to understand where they're coming from why they're feeling what they're feeling and the mistake that I used to make, and I occasionally make now because I'm not perfect, is we feel the need in the masculine energy to fix, to help, to give advice. And that's the last thing that Sylvie needs. When she wants my help, she'll ask me for my help. But when she's talking to me, she wants me to just listen to her, to understand where she's coming from, to understand the emotions that she's feeling. And by doing that, I'm fulfilling that second need that she has. And the last need for the feminine energy, the last need that Sylvie has is for her to feel safe. Not just safe out in, in public where, you know, there may be, you know, dangers lurking, but the real safety that she's looking for is the safety of her heart. To know that she can give to me whatever she wants and know that she's safe in doing so, that she can express herself 
and and know that I'm going to be there for her, even if it feels like it's you know an attack on me. It's not. It's not what it's about. It's about her expressing her emotions, her feelings. It has really nothing to do with me. I just need to be present with her. I need her to know that I'll never leave no matter what, that I'm always there for her. And by giving her that feeling of safety, by fulfilling those three needs, it's really the linchpin of our relationship being so beautiful. And when she has those three needs filled, the love that she pours into my life is incalculable. Like I, I'm just privileged and, and lucky to, to have her in my life and I love her so much. And so that's sort of, uh, that's, those are the three needs that, that a feminine energy needs. Those are the three needs that, that Sylvie needs. And that will work in any listener's life, in any relationship that you have. If you fulfill your partner's needs, you're going to have a beautiful relationship. Sylvie, do you have anything you want to add to that? Um, Rick, Rick described it so beautifully. And um, at his core, Rick has a lot of um, empathy. That's one of the greatest quality that he had um, also in his, in his work as a police officer, you know, being really caring for others. And as we got back together, um, Rick wanted to give a lot to me, like in a sense that he wanted to do things for me, you know, like he noticed I was doing something and he wanted to do it for me. It could be opening the door. Or, and for me, being by myself for 12 years, I was used to doing everything on my own. And I grew up on a farm <laughs> and I was close to my dad and watching my dad fixing everything because when you're a farmer, you can fix pretty much everything, right? Yeah, you have to, to, to do what you need to do. So Rick wanted to give me, and I had to learn to receive. And, to, and I learned that. I learned that through the training that I've, I've done in the Tony Robbins environment, that the masculine wants to the masculine wants to see a smile on your face. So whatever he can do to put the smile on your face, he will do it. And that's what he wants. He wants to see that beautiful smile on his partner's face. And once I learned that, and I slowly give an opportunity to Rick to do things for me, and he could see my smile, it made him very happy. And a key for the masculine is... Their first need is appreciation. So saying thank you, I appreciate you, you're the man of my dream, um, you're, you're just like so attentive to me. The man, the masculine, needs to be appreciated. That's one of his first need. And the second need is to have respect, to, is to, to respect your men, respect the masculine the way they are because they're different from us and if they were identical to us, I don't think we would be very happy. So it's like the yin and yang, right? For the masculine and the feminine. And so to respect who they are. And the third need is to um, freedom. They want to have freedom. Rick likes to do different things. And uh, like he, he mentioned earlier at the beginning that he likes storm chasing. 
So is I encourage him to do that because I know it is he, really happy when he does that. So I is he was doing that previous year and then uh, stopped because of COVID. And then I said, Rick, have you contacted uh, the uh, storm chasing uh, gentleman? And he did. And he's going in a couple of weeks. He's actually going for for a full week in the state storm chasing. So this is an activity. So giving him his freedom and encouraging him to do the things that he wants to do and to spend time taking care of ourselves, right? For the things that we like to do. And one thing also is, you know, you hear often, oh, in relationship, it's supposed to be 50-50, right? Well, no. <laughs> it's not supposed to be 50-50. It's supposed to be 100 on each side. Giving your 100%. You don't give your 50. You give your 100%. When you give your 100% to someone, when the love is reciproc, then the other person give their 100%. That makes a beautiful, harmonious relationship. And that's the type of relationship um, that we have, Rick and I. And some of the thing is no blaming, no judgment, and no control. So instead of blaming Rick for any emotion that I feel, no, sometimes I say, Rick, um, I'm not feeling very good right now. I'm just going to give me some time. And then I go do something. I go do something for myself to take care of myself. And then I come back and then we can continue our conversation. Because sometimes we might be taking something personal or we blame ourselves, or we judge ourselves. Oh, we try to control our partner. And these are things that we are aware that we're staying away from. And again, to have self-love for ourselves, all these things that I was talking about, appreciation, respect, and freedom, is to have it and give it to ourselves. Appreciate ourselves, respecting ourselves, and giving ourselves the freedom sometimes to, to do things on our own and and come back and be a better person. And certainly we do have from time to time disagreement, but we deal with it differently than maybe we would have had to uh, many years ago, because now we know all these tools that we can apply on a daily basis. And by the way, there's no such thing as perfection. And once we realize there's no such thing as perfection, then we can focus on being better than we used to be. So getting to the next level. There's always a next level. Perfection doesn't exist. And once we realize that, then we can improve ourselves to be a better person and be better than we used to be and grow together and contribute to our love together. Sorry, I talk a lot. <laughs> oh, it's it's a uh, it's Amazing. great, um, Sylvie. It's really interesting to hear the perspectives uh, between the two of you. I was frantically writing down notes here that I want to <laughs> apply to my own relationship. So, but, uh, I think uh, many other people, uh, if they're listening carefully to what what you're both saying, are going to get a lot out of this because. Relationships are often overlooked in policing. You know, some people might say, "Well, what are you spending time for on relationships on the uh, t uh, on a police podcast for?" And, well, 
because relationships are at the foundation of everything. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. That applies to your relationship in your couple, but also you, you're bang on when you say it applies to other relationship. These tools can be uh, used for other relationship. hundred percent. So we're, co- we're coming into the home stretch here on this one. Um, I want to uh, throw this over to Rick and uh, because we were started out talking about the transition to retirement uh, and um, I'd like to, to ask Rick, what do you do to replace going to work every day? Like what does your individual day look like into retirement as opposed to uh, when you're going to work every day? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I told you about what my plan, you know, for retirement was uh, before you know, Sylvie came back into my life, and that really wasn't much of a plan. It's important for us to appreciate and understand that when we retire, a lot of my friends, I had a, obviously a lot of coworkers who, who retired over over the thirty years that, that I was policing, and it was amazing the difference I could see between the people who who retired and then went on to do things that they love to do. And those people who retired and just basically retired from life, they just golfed and went home and watched TV the rest of the day. They didn't have anything in their life that really kept them mentally really active. And that's what learning is. And so that's a lot of what I do now in, in retirement. I, I, I love to, to learn. I love to grow. I, I, I study all the time on, on how to be a coach to help other people. I'm studying to, to be a trainer in, in, my, in my journey to in the Tony Robbins uh, volunteer environment. I also make sure that I, you know, I start my day. I have a routine that, 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 well, that Sylvia and I, I do. You know, we, we start off our day with doing what we call three intentions. So we pick three different words that are motivational to us. They're positive words. This morning, it was it was courage. It was understanding. And it was um, faith. Me, courage, faith. Thank you. Courage, <laughs> understanding and faith. And, you know, and we talk about those words and what they mean to us at that moment in time. And it sort of sets our day off on a positive note. We also make sure that we, we take care of our health. We start off with our water. We start off with our celery juice. We go for an hour walk every morning, rain, snow, shine, blizzard, doesn't matter. We were, I can tell you sometimes when it was minus 40, it felt like outside with the windshield. I was wondering what I was doing, but we did it anyways, because it's important for us to keep our bodies in motion. So those are those are things that are non-negotiables with us. I study during the day. We volunteer uh, on a regular basis. We do other exercise besides the walking. We alternate between, you know, uh, in, in the winter, we might go for cross-country skiing or snowshoeing, you know, downhill skiing. In the summer, we'll do biking. We're on a river. We go kayaking all the time. Just anything that, that you know, puts us in a place where we're dealing with, with our bodies to keep it as physically healthy as possible. I can tell you right now at 58 years old, 
this this morning I you know uh, I start off with I do a lot of stretching. Uh, Sil- Sylvie does stretching as well, but we do stretching in the morning. I I did forty push ups this morning. I did a couple of uh, two minute planks this morning just to kind of get my day started energetically, and that's a non negotiable thing. I, I do that every day because it's important to me. You know I want and why it's important to me because I. I'm hoping that someday my, my children will have children of their own. And I want to be a granddad that can enjoy the grandchildren, run around and, and, and you know, enjoy, just enjoy them, right? Enjoy being with my daughters, enjoying being with their kids. And, and so that's also really, really important. It's, it'll be different for everybody, but the, the thing that's important is to do what you love. Grow in an area that you want to grow in. Learn and keep on learning. And the best thing is, is if you're learning, you should be teaching. Give back to people. You know, give, you know, teach your children, teach your grandchildren. You know, like us, we, we volunteer, we give back what we've learned through the volunteering. And we're hoping that through this podcast, we can give back to our brothers and sisters. If they need us, we want to be there for them. And by doing that, I feel fulfilled in my life. I don't miss work because I have so much more in my life I'm doing right now that is as important to me and in some ways even more important because I get to be, help people one-on-one in a way that you really can't in policing. And so that to me is the is the key to, to transitioning from, from a place of work to just a new chapter in your life. That's great, Rick. Great advice there. So, Sylvie, uh, exactly the same question. How did you transition from work as a police officer into retirement? That's a great question, Emily. Thank you. And I actually don't call it retirement. I like to call it graduation. (laughs) It's like graduating from a beautiful 30 years career in policing. That got me to um, my second phase of my life, if we want to call it second phase, or to all the experience that I gained was like an education, right, over the 30 years. And then uh, I think I mentioned it previously in 2015, I started the coaching program and then I got involved in the Tony Robbins Learning and I've done the university mastery, the leadership mastery, and now I'm a trainer. So I spend a lot of my time, and Rick already talked about our morning um, kind of uh, routine that we do. And I volunteer uh, regularly every month, and I get a lot of training. Like this week, yesterday at 4 o'clock from 4 to 5.30, I had training, and then tonight again, and there's a couple of more days, Thursday and Friday. So I get continuous training. And it's to, we are trainers from all around the world. Like when we have training, we're about 50 to 60 trainers. And we keep up our skills and improve all the time. Like we grow. Tony Robbins is somebody that likes to progress all the time. And he tries, when he does his event, he tries to get the best of the best around the world. And he brings it to people at his event. And when I say the best of the best is like self-awareness, uh, health, relationship, and finance, business, everything that we deal with in our life. 
So for me, as I gained tremendous experience and knowledge and skills through all this training, and um, yeah, and uh, events. So there's about one event per month, and this could be between five to eight days, and they're intense. They start early in the morning until sometimes 11 at night. So it's very intense, and we're there to support. I'm there. I have a group of maybe 60 people, sometimes up to 400 people in a virtual room. And I, in the morning, I start the day, so I kind of um, start the day with them, and then Tony comes on stage, and then he has different guests. And every time we take a break, I'm there to support the room. I'm kind of the lead of the room. So this is develop, developing myself tremendously over since I retired. I've been doing this. I've been uh, a trainer since 2022, since last year, but I've been in the environment for um, pretty much since 2016. So lots of training, lots of growing. And then we are also members of Toastmasters International. I don't know if you're aware of what that is. It's a public speaking and leadership program. We meet on a weekly basis. Rick is actually the president of our club here in Ottawa, and I'm the vice president of education for the club. And we are also member of clubs, uh, a club in Florida, because we spent our two first winter, 2018 and 2019, we spent our winter in Florida. So we became members of Toastmasters Club in Florida, and we we kept on uh, participating in the meeting because we do it virtual. So uh, created a lot of friends and a lot of different contact. And uh, what else do we do? Yes, every time we are out and we encounter anyone that we talk to that needs. Uh, help or we're there we like to support people and now we had been thinking and we said what a great opportunity to go back to our friends police officers because we know the environment and we can help that's why we we want to get to the next level all the time so now we're like okay we want to help others so that's that's how we ended up um connecting with you uh, for the podcast. And we said, maybe we can, we can uh, share our experience and offer our, you know, offer ourselves to our brothers and sisters. So, and one thing very important is last year, Rick and I, we get to travel a lot because that was one of the things that I was thinking when I got back with Rick. We travel a lot and we're going to go to uh, Europe for the month of July and then in September we're going to Australia and last year we had an opportunity through uh, the Tony Robbins environment as volunteer to go to Fiji and we actually got married um, on the 17th of March last year so <laughs> we uh, that was a beautiful beautiful uh, event and then we had our wedding and it, it was just um, amazing just just so beautiful and we're you know we're just really 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 happy people wow that's <laughs> that's amazing now I just have all the good feels right now Sylvie um, so like Scott said we're, we're running out of time here we're coming to the end but uh, I was wondering if you had any last words Sylvie last words as well, we want to share our support to our brothers and sisters 
And policing is something we know and we understand. Between Rick and I, we have pretty much 60 years of experience in policing. And our purpose is to serve and guide people. And specifically now, our focus is on police officers to live their best life by understanding where they are, meaning if they are in the dark place right now or not where they want to be, to where they could be. And creating a map to have the best life possible. And we all know that there's a need for a shift in the policing culture, in the leadership, in the teamwork. And by working together, we can we can all make it better. So that would be uh, my last word for you. Thanks very much, uh, Sylvie, for that. Um just going to turn it over here to Rick uh, for for the last words. And one thing that uh, uh, Josh and I we did uh, several times uh, we we asked for your three wishes, but just a one, two, three. If you could change anything in the world, what would it be? So uh, over to you, Rick, for your last words and your three wishes. <laughs> oh, okay, that that sounds exciting. Uh, last words. You know, I, I can mimic what Sylvia is saying because she 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 speaks from my heart as well when, when, with with her thoughts there. I I wear actually a, a saying on, on my wrist. I have a wristband that I wear every day. I've worn every day since 2018, and it and it's a phrase from from a book, uh, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, and it's a it's it's a phrase I live by now. Is that it's in serving each other we become free. And it's in the service that we did in policing. Policing is about serving. It's about serving, you know, the people in our community and helping them feel safe. And in this time of my life now, with all that that I've learned and how much I've grown and my understanding that I wish I had known all this information while I was a police officer, how my, my life would have been even better. You know, my ability to serve the people of the city of Kingston would have been better. My ability to be a better husband, a better father, a better friend. But it all comes from that want and the desire to not be about myself. It's about it's about wanting to be all I can be for everyone else. And now I want to serve, like Sylvie said, my brothers and sisters in, in any way I can, uh, both you know, retired and about to retire. And especially those people that are still working, they need our help. They need our guidance, maybe more than anybody in these difficult times of of policing. If we can learn early on what we should focus on and, and, you know, watch the language that we're saying to ourselves and, and really take control of our physiology, we can end our career in as great a health mentally and physically as we started it. And those are my last words in, in regards to uh, in regards to your question. Now, three wishes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know what? I, I think I might cheat a little bit. And you know, when I think about three wishes, I actually think about a prayer. Um, it's the one by uh, Francis of Assisi. I think is the one that he wrote. It's one that I memorized actually a long time ago when I, when I was a child in Catholic school. But I think that this would be great words for everyone in the world to live by. And um, 
the prayer goes like this. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. If we can do that for all the people in the world, stop centering on ourselves, but center on how other people feel and help them feel something more positive instead, I think it would just be a beautiful world for us to live in. Hmm. Sylvie, um, could we, same question, three wishes. My three wishes would be for all of us to focus on giving instead of getting. So focus on more on giving instead of getting. The second one would be to appreciate each other instead of expecting so much from each other. So really appreciate each other instead of expecting from each other and that includes ourselves. and then the last one would be to connect with our heart when we think so to make the link between our mind and our heart so again to connect with our heart when we think and uh, that would be my three wishes for the world thank you so much yes thank you so much really appreciate you bringing us on your wonderful show well, thank you to both of you for taking the time to talk with us today. I feel like we've gone on a journey, really, um, and, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank you both. Well, thank you. So that is our episode for this week. You've been listening to uh, retired police couples, uh, Sylvie Cote, who retired in 2018 from the OPP after a 30-year career and Rick Whalen, who is a retired Kingston Police Service officer, and both who are now living their best lives. <laughs> if you would like to connect... <laughs> yeah. If you would like to connect with either Sylvia or Rick, they're willing to talk and, and they're open uh, for anyone that would like more information on their transition to retirement, living their best lives. Um, the best way to do that is to email Scott and myself here. Uh, the email address is the word communications, plural, um, at oppa.ca. And we will facilitate connecting um, you with Sylvie and Rick. If you like what you hear, hit that subscribe button on the podcast platform of your choice so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop every other Friday at 6 a.m. For Scott Mills, myself, and everyone here at the OPP Association, Thank you for listening and be safe.